Welcome to our podcast, A Place Called Porch. I'm your host, Megan Zamora, and I invite you to kick back, relax, and enjoy the friendship, history, and stories of the Porch Band of Creek Indians. Tribal Council member Arthur Mothershed is also Wind Creek Hospitality's Vice President of Business Development and Government Relations. He's a very busy man, and I caught him at his office at Wind Creek in between meetings. He was really open with me and shared a lot about his upbringing and his family and how he came to be where he is today. Arthur, thank you so much for sharing in this time with us today. A lot of times whenever uh, folks first come to the community and they meet our elders, one of the first things elders always ask is, who's your folks? Who do you belong to? Who do you belong to? <laughs> so let's start there. Who do you belong to and how do you connect to the porch community? <clears throat> uh, so I connect to the tribe through my mom, uh, Dolores Kelly, uh, formerly Dolores Mothershed, but originally Dolores McGee. Uh, her dad was Levi McGee, uh, who's the pillar of the community, and, and her mom was Tracy McGee, but formerly Tracy Walker. Uh, so I connect kind of on both sides. Both of my or my great great uncle Calvin would have been a chief at one time, and then my uh, great grandfather Fred Walker was. Although uh, I don't think they formally recognized chiefs, or certainly not chairman back then, but he was sort of the unrecognized chief for a period of time. So. You grew up, did you grow up in the porch community? Sure did. About a quarter mile, we're sitting at the casino. These guys can't see us, so we're sitting at the casino. I grew up about a quarter mile from here. So what are some, whenever you think about growing up in the porch community, what are some of your memories of growing up here? Uh, Just the gatherings we used to have. Uh, And I know we try to do some of those things now we have a family gathering tomorrow, as a matter of fact. But, um, you know, the gatherings back then just seemed different, I guess, more special. Uh, you know, we get we communicate a lot, mm-hmm. but we don't do a lot of uh, face-to-face communication or, sure. or not as much. So uh, probably for me, that's some of the things I miss. You know, kids running around up and down the hill, playing in the ditch with the water flowing through, you know, fried chicken in the wash pot, you know, those things. Uh, you know, they, it, the gatherings seemed to mean more because yeah. uh, it was truly getting together and catching up, uh, just being family. And I think, too, when you think back then about what's different between then and now, well, now everybody's constantly connected to their phone and just envisioning what those times have been like and just from other conversations I've had with, you know, other leaders and elders, seems like it was more intentional and more mindful gathering. Yeah, more personal. Sure. Sure, we communicate more. I mean, uh, we text. Some folks get on social media. Me, not so much, but, um, you know, you, call, you can call. Everybody's got a cell phone. Yeah. Even when I was growing up, you know, my kids – think it's weird that you know we didn't have cell phones when I was growing up. I remember my first cell phone <clears throat> was actually when I was working for Winn-Dixie. Uh-huh. Uh, and it was a big deal when you know all the store managers got phones. So. Yeah. Uh, so that was that was actually my first. So I'm glad that you brought up Winn-Dixie because that's where I was headed to next. So how does a um, 
young man start in the grocery store business, bagging groceries, and become a VP at Wind Creek Hospitality, as well as a council member of one of the most successful tribes in the nation? So, I started at Wind Dixie before I turned 16. Um, And uh, I started bagging groceries just like about every other young man my age then. I didn't. I never intended to stay. Uh, so there was there's part of my life where you know. So my mom, who's one sec. It's okay. It hits up crazy times. It does. Yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> so. uh you know, most people don't know this, or a lot of people, some people may, but she uh, she took care of my dad just for as long as I can remember. Mm-hmm. My dad, uh, he had a brain tumor and was paralyzed on his right side, so he couldn't get around. So she took care of him uh, for all my <clears throat> all my childhood. Mm-hmm. And then uh, eventually, uh, when well, he, he passed, uh, I think I was almost 19 when he passed. And <clears throat> so even some of the, the financial support she got from then was, was going away. So my mom actually went back and started at trade school, got some skills, went to work for housing. During that time, it got kind of tough for us. Uh, for whatever reason, I just, I was in college at the time, but I, I decided it was time for me just to start working full-time. And like I said, at the time, I was part-time at Winn-Dixie and, mm-hmm. and going to college, so my intention was never to stay there. But one thing led to another. That that happened. Uh, I got an opportunity to become a, a grocery manager, which is basically a stock room manager. And then I worked my way through the ranks. And somehow I was lucky enough in my early 20s to, to land my first store. So, uh, you know, back then, the money I was making, it was good money. So the, uh, during my mid-20s, I didn't have a whole lot of motivation to, to, uh, to, to leave. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, ambition took over. And, uh, you know, the grocery business was just like every other business. They had, they had the ceilings where you can only go so far with hard work and ambition. Yeah. Uh, they were looking for someone with college degrees to just start to, you know, to move into the corporate world or, or into corporate. So I made a decision to, to, to go back and get my bachelor's degree. It was tough because, you know, working, 60, 70 hours a week and trying to, I had a family already. I already had uh, my oldest daughter, Katie. And, and uh, so it, it was really tough to get that. And then during that time, uh, my middle daughter, Shelly, was born. So trying to take care of family, work those many hours uh, and go to school was really tough. So my wife and I talked and uh, I decided to take a step back even in the grocery business. I actually left when Dixie and went to uh, Bruno's mm-hmm. as a co-manager. Uh, so the wasn't as many demands on me in the workplace. Uh, finished my bachelor's and went to the University of Alabama and enrolled in their executive program to get my MBA. And about that time, I got got a call from my uncle, actually, Fred McGee, who was the chairman. Or, I'm sorry, he was not the chairman at the time. He was on the gaming board and said, we got a position coming up uh, with PCI Gaming. I'd like for you to put in for it if you would. So I did. Wasn't really thinking that much about whether or not I'd get it. Uh, Thought it'd be cool to come back and work for my second family, which is a tribe. But, uh, you know, I was pretty happy where I was at. Didn't really think that much about uh, coming 
anyway, long story short, I applied, I interviewed, I, I got the job, and I guess as they say, the rest is history. I, uh, and what was that job? I was a CFO for gaming for three years. Then I moved to CIE as a CFO and oversaw the construction of uh, Wind Creek Atmore. And then when it was built, uh, Jay Doris, who's the CEO, asked me if I'd like to come back and get an operation. So, so I applied for the what was called the property manager, which is basically the general manager uh, of Wind Creek Atmore. Around <clears throat> 2014, uh, uh we started talking about diversity. That was in 2009. I'm sorry to give some timeline references. Uh, uh, around 2014, we started talking about uh, uh, expanding, diversifying, mm -hmm. even the gaming operation, what was doing, which was doing quite well. But uh, you know, as volatile as Alabama politics are, uh, we thought it was still important to to look outside. Mm -hmm. So I was working closely with Jay. It cut. I'm sorry, it was probably been around 2012 because I actually took this job in 2014. But it came pretty apparent that uh, I was not going to be able to, to help him the way he needed it and focus on uh, on, on, on the property. Yeah. Although I had some great people. I mean, they were, they were taking care of it, but uh came pretty apparent. So uh, he posted a job. I made the decision to, to, to apply for the job I'm currently in, which is... Uh, over business development, government relations. So at what point did you um, run for tribal council? Oh, 2005. Okay. So you've been on council now for, what, like 16 years, Six, I guess? 16 years. All right. So this job, I would imagine, is pretty demanding. <laughs> tribal council in and of itself can be quite demanding. Okay. Um, you have a beautiful family, a very vivacious young little granddaughter. Um, how Joe's two, three, three. Um, had the pleasure of having some one on one time with her last <laughs> week. That was a lot of fun. Um, she was a little skeptical, but I think I won her over a little bit. Um, but you know, how do you balance such? demands on your time and still be able to feel like you are having those meaningful and quality times with your family too because I know that you are you to me have always and I've known you for many years Arthur but you've always first and foremost um, been a family man and uh, that goes hand in hand with your tribal family and of course your immediate family so how do you how do you find the time it, it gets hard to balance. I mean, it's, uh, I, I have a pretty supportive wife, obviously, or, or else I certainly wouldn't be able to do it. Uh, so she, she's very, understood. Well, most of the time she's understanding. Uh -huh. There are times she puts her foot down, but uh, I, I guess I'm fortunate that both of these jobs primarily are very flexible. Mm -hmm. So uh, I'm not strapped to an eight to five here I'm, and I'm not strapped to a certain schedule there other than the you know the council meetings and some workshops so uh, a lot of my work i can do whenever you know time allows so uh you know it's it, that part's been been good uh, obviously it, it does take a lot of my time and it looks no secret uh two years ago i decided to to hang up the tribal council site um and then covid hit so i felt uh felt an obligation to because the tribe's been so good to me to not 
to not walk away at a time when I thought they might need me. So. Yeah. Yeah, that's very, <clears throat> that's um, certainly fair. And I mean, just for me working closely with council and the in tribal government side and even at Wind Creek, um, it seems like you enter into something and it starts this, this big, you know, the size of a, a fingernail and then all of a sudden it turns into uh, yeah the, the size of Africa or something so <laughs> yeah starts chipping away at your time certainly one of the things that uh, most people some will but a lot of people may not realize is you are um, our, our very own tribal poet laureate <laughs> So, how did you get into writing poems? Because, uh, and I will say um, that the poems you write are very personal. Um, so, I'd like you to maybe share a little bit about that if you feel comfortable. Sure. Um, I, I, I started writing poems, I guess, when I was in high school. Maybe even a little bit before. Uh, I, I've, I've never been one to really I mean, my wife and kids to tell you this i'm not overly affectionate mm -hmm. uh, so you know those words are i guess my way of getting it out uh, i'm not i think they know i love them but i'm not always <laughs> the most uh <laughs> not always outwardly uh, the most affectionate although i try to do better at times but yeah it was just it was an outlet uh to, to get those feelings out. And now it's become a little bit of a tradition for um, those that you were really close to. It seems like they call upon you to write something special, <laughs> especially during times of loss. Um, and I know that that, you know, as as a vocalist and getting called upon to sing at a lot of different funerals and events that are real heavy, it really does take a toll on you. And I don't think people always recognize or, uh, or or realize like what a toll that takes on you so I know that uh, that means a lot to people during those times because it words and songs and music can minister to people in a way that um, other things can't so I know that people are appreciative of that it's, it's tough but you know uh, a lot of great people in my family and, and a lot of other you know, a couple other uh, funerals I've been asked to speak at or, or deliver something yeah, at the end of the day, if you're asked to give a testament to somebody's life, I mean that's a, that's an honor. It's something it, you shouldn't. Um, I mean, you, the family has just lost something very valuable to them. Mm -hmm. And in my a lot of, a lot of times in my cases, you know, you've also been a member of my family, but uh, they entrust you to 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 just get up and say a few words, and that's an honor. And that's the way I look at it. Absolutely. Um, so. In all of your time serving on council, what are some of the most important lessons that you think you've learned through serving for so many for so many years? It's easy. It's easy to get uh, trapped in the minutiae. It's probably the biggest lesson. Uh, if I were talking to anybody that wanted to get into any level of politics or even business, uh, I, too many times. You know, there's the old adage, the squeaking wheel gets the grease. Mm -hmm. And that's typically what drags you down into the weeds and uh, doesn't allow you to think clearly about what's best for the tribe, your business, whatever the case may be. Uh, 
I think I've learned pretty well over the years that you have to take that moment, step back and look at the entire picture, then make a decision. Um, look, we, we get some pretty emotional stories delivered at our footstep at the tribal council level. And, uh, some of them are very genuine. Uh, others you have to kind of dig through and peel back the layers and, and try to see exactly what's going on there. Um, I, I spoke at the, uh, at the, uh, mortgage burning, uh, back around 2011 ish, maybe 12. <clears throat> it's been a few years ago. And, you know, one of the things that I wanted to impart on our people then was, uh, try not to get dug into a sense of entitlement. Mm-hmm. Uh, we should look at what we have before us as an opportunity and, uh, and, and treat it that way. Uh, so being able to parse through what people need and what they want and then giving them opportunities is probably the most difficult thing to, to try to accomplish, but uh, we just have to keep trying to strive for that. It's, it's tough, but you got to do it. Yeah. And I remember um, I was there at the mortgage burning. I was actually working for Wind Creek at that time. And um, another thing that you said that I remember, and I've heard you say it again, too, is whenever you come into um, a space, try and leave it better than what you found it. And um, those are really powerful <laughs> words to live by. So whenever you're faced with a lot of decisions every single day from, you know, both a council standpoint, a business standpoint for Wind Creek, how do you go about um, making decisions? Because you're one of the um, you're one of the best critical thinkers that that I have been able to work with. And I really appreciate that quality about you. But I think it's important for people to understand you don't just maybe read a piece of paper and make a decision like that. So walk, walk us through your process, if you will, of decision-making. Well, I appreciate you saying that. <laughs> You're entirely <laughs> true. Anyway, uh, look, the difficulty that we face when making decisions is, you know, if I was just running a business, things would be so much easier. Right? Sure. Um, you know, we'd be, certainly you take care of your employees, uh, that's always going to be important, but primarily you're there to make your business successful. Uh, but we have such a another human side, a human element to to what we do, which I, I love. Don't get me wrong, I, but uh, so it makes it a little bit more difficult. We we make decisions a lot of times based on job creation, not all the time, but sometimes it's job creation or just creating opportunities for people instead of just focusing on, is this the absolute best business venture or is this the absolute best program? Uh, so there's a couple of different things that go into that. But for me, uh, <clears throat> I, I always try to look at things as it, this may sound simple, but is this, if this was Arthur's money, what would I do with it? Mm-hmm. Uh, and we, we don't always get them right. As Jay says all the time, as long as we get more right than wrong, we're doing okay. I like to do a little better than that. I like to have a little <laughs> bit better than a 50-50 batting average. But, uh, you know, it, there's, there's always a couple of fundamental questions when we look at something. I mean, um, is this a business we want to be in? Is this a from the business side or is this a program that our people really need? But 
both of them require reaching out and doing your doing your uh, diligence on each issue. Uh, sometimes, again, I hate to say it again, but uh, on the tribal side, uh, the government side, uh, two or three people are really interested in a program and they really push it and the pressure there. So we pass a program that really only benefits a couple. So <clears throat> I like to think that we, we sit down and we evaluate whether it's best for the whole or just a few and try to do it from that standpoint. Now on the business side, we still pretty much, you know, hey, what is that return? Um, is it a sustainable business? And there's all many, many other factors that go into it. But yeah, you're right. It's not as simple as picking up a document, scanning it one time. Uh, most of our diligence processes over here last from six months to a year. Mm. Uh, Pennsylvania comes about, everybody thinks, oh, you're just dropping this in our lap. We've been working on it for you know, 14, 18 months. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's, it's a lot of work goes into those before they actually come to the table and say, hey, we've done our homework. We think We think this is a viable business option. And I think that's important for members to understand because sometimes I have found whenever you are sort of neck deep in something and you have been day in and day out for that period of time, you know, over well over a year, year and a half, as the person that's been in the middle of it, you take for granted that the tribal member is seeing it for the first time. And uh, of course, with such a substantial investment as Pennsylvania was, um, it can sort of have some sticker shock attached to it. But without them knowing all of the months and the year and a half of, of planning. So I think it's important for them to know like this wasn't just on a whim and a wish and a prayer. There's been a lot of diligence and effort and thought put into it ahead of time. We, we grew so fast. I mean, that's that's part of it. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, 2009, this place, Atmore, Wind Creek Atmore, cost $250 million to build. Yep. Uh, and we had a lot of uh, angst about passing that. You're right. Uh, so you go from a $250 million decision to a $1.3 billion decision in 10 years. That's, that's pretty significant growth. But I think if you look at the track record, uh, the growth wasn't just in the dollars we spent, but also in the, more so in the dollars that we were making. So, uh, but yeah, I, I agree. Uh, and look, if I may digress for just a second, sure. <clears throat> you know, I, I understand where tribal members come from whenever they feel like, hey, this deal just got dropped in my lap. I didn't know anything about this. What are they doing with the money? And I understand the, the, the concern that, hey, why didn't we know about this before? And take a couple opportunities every time I can to say, hey, you know, we're typically bound by non-disclosure agreements until a certain point. We certainly want to make that available as soon as we can. Uh, you know, hopefully uh, we can get a little better about getting some information out as quickly, a little more quickly. But uh, I just hope they understand that we, we're certainly doing our work and we're certainly, before we bring it to the table for any kind of decision, we're, we're pretty comfortable that we're doing what's best for them. Sure. And I appreciate you making that comment. <clears throat> Only have two more questions. Um, so uh, what has been your favorite business venture thus far? Well, I, I can't nail it down to one. Okay. So I'll, I'll, I'll nail it down to three. Mm -hmm. uh, and part of it is because, look, the first, when I came to work for PCI Gaming, uh, 
And shame on me. I didn't even know what we had going on in, in uh, Wetumpkin, Montgomery at the time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> at the time, they were called Riverside and Tallapoosa. Uh-huh. And I walk in. I drive, well, I drive up, and I see these mobile homes attached together. And I walk in, and there's a stick cloud of smoke just all <laughs> over the room you could barely breathe and i thought man we got to do better than this mm-hmm. uh, you know we didn't have anybody to help us back then mm-hmm. uh, you know mr tellus was the chairman at the time they did a great job getting those things off the ground and we made a lot of money so i'm not certainly not casting any uh, <laughs> but i thought we that was one of my first thoughts. We got to do better than this. So mm-hmm. fast forward to where we are today. Uh, we were able to go out into Oregon and help the Coos Bay tribe get their operation up and running. Uh, there wasn't a huge operation, but it was a very nice uh, building, very nice interior, very not, very well done. Uh, we were able to help the Washoe tribe get theirs off the ground and in, uh, in, in Nevada and in, in Northern California, the Karuk tribe. So the fact that that we were able to help those guys get it off the ground and, and certainly get them at a higher starting point than we, we started at, mm-hmm. uh, you know, th- those mean a lot personally. Mm-hmm. Now, obviously from a business perspective, I mean, the, the Caribbean properties, very nice, uh, very proud of those, uh, you know, people would have said we were going to be international 10 years ago. I'd have laughed at them. We are, and they're they're doing very well for us. Uh, and then, of course, Bethlehem was was obviously a, a, a feather, and not only our cap, but for Indian country. You know, to, to see a, a Native American tribe be able to go out and, and accomplish an acquisition of that size was was pretty fulfilling. A lot of uh, you've been able to witness a lot of breaking through the ceiling, and um, one thing that has been both frustrating and um, also exciting at the same time is as I've gotten older and more involved in the tribe, I realize you never get there. There's always, the ceiling continues to move. There's always another challenge. There's always something else. Um, I do have a piggyback question and then I'll ask my final question. Um, My piggyback question is, can you give us, uh, without you know breaking any sort of confidentiality or anything, can you give us a preview maybe of, of what we can expect to be coming up? Uh, to, to, to be honest, in the brick and mortar space, uh, it's pretty tough right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I'll put it on. I'll put it on a level everybody can understand. Go try to buy a house right now. Sure. Sure. <laughs> so uh, you know, brick and mortar opportunities uh, are. Are pretty tough. Uh, we, we're taking a look. I can say this: we're taking a look at look a deeper look into the online space, and I think we got a pretty exciting thing coming forward. Cool. All right, that's fantastic. Last question: What does it mean to Arthur Mothershed to be a porch man of Creek Indian? Uh, you know, family. Uh, I tell, I've told this story before. I'm not sure to whom. But it, a lot of people look at the porch. I'm a member of the Porch Band of Creek Indians. I'm certainly very proud to be a member of the Porch Band of Creek Indians. But uh, I tell, I remember back in 1983. All right, I'm a freshman in in high school. We we were a cohesive group of students standing there in the lobby during recess at lunch. Uh, 
we just migrated together. I mean, they were my family. Mm -hmm. Fast forward to 1984, we're a federally recognized tribe. I didn't feel any different. Mm -hmm. I mean, they were still my family. So, I mean, the tribe's my second family, always has been. Uh, I certainly wish uh, we hadn't lost the culture. Uh, And I certainly am very proud of the efforts that are being made to bring that back. Uh, I know a lot of you guys participate more than than I do, and uh, I'm certainly glad the opportunity is there. Wish it would have been there earlier, uh, but you know. So from my my perspective, I just we're a tribe, we're yeah. family. Well, thank you so much, Arthur, for your time. And I know that our audience today has certainly enjoyed um, this time with you as well. So thank you. For thank that. you. We hope you enjoyed your time with us today. For more information about the Porch Band of Creek Indians, please visit our website, porchcreekindians.org. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast, A Place Called Porch.